0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig.
1: Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.
0: your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews,
1: analysis and more. This is the Sox Machine podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Wednesday evening on August 29th, 2018, as we are streaming live on Mixler.com slash Sox Tonight, we'll be recapping the Yankees-White Sox series as the Chicago White Sox finally won a series at the new Yankee Stadium, the first time since the stadium was built in 2009, and they continue their hot streak in the month of August. Will that play continue this Labor Day weekend as the Boston Red Sox come into town? We'll preview that series and also discuss at the very end of the show a crazy proposed rule change from the Wall Street Journal that they are proposing. And uh, yeah, you're just going to have to wait until the end of the show to hear on what they would like to change. Joining me is the co-host of the podcast and the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. That was a fun series.
1: Yeah, they looked pretty professional. And watching the (laughs) series on the Yankees broadcast, I get that here. They're the local broadcast in New York, so I can't get Benetti in stone if I want to, but... It's fun watching uh, when the White Sox play well against the Yankees because, well, especially this season, the Yankees expect to beat the White Sox as they should. And when they do, or uh, when the White Sox manage to defy that that storyline, and they do so by outplaying the Yankees, they pretty much outplayed the Yankees all weekend, aside from a couple innings
0: uh, yesterday. Uh, they were they left everybody very frustrated. Yeah, the White Sox are now sixteen and eleven in the month of August. They clinched. Their first winning month of 2018. Uh, if you've been listening to White Sox Wake Up Call, Greg Nix did a terrific job as far as song choice uh, to celebrate the occasion. Uh, <laughs> but they continue to roll along. As a matter of fact, the Kansas City Royals today beat the Detroit Tigers 9-2, to which means the Chicago White Sox have caught Detroit in the standings and they are now tied for third place in the AL Central The record is still dismal. It's 53 and 80. But hey, you could say that the White Sox went from last place in the AL Central to now tied for third place. And who knows if they continue to play this well, maybe it's not so crazy that they can catch the Minnesota Twins in the AL Central because right now they are playing at a crazy level, a level that I wasn't expecting the White Sox to ever play at, Jim, when we were talking about this team in April and May.
1: Yeah, I could maybe see him getting there in September if the White Sox called up Kopech and Jimenez and, you know, brought the next wave up. But, you know, I didn't see him getting there. I mean, Kopech's helped, uh, at least in one game. But otherwise, it's been mainly with their talent And in some cases, especially with Jose Abreu out.
0: uh, You know, even big injuries aren't affecting him that much. You're going to have to let us know what the sports media circuit is going to discuss about this Yankees team tomorrow morning and how irate sports radio is going to be because I get it. If you're a Yankees fan, you got to be upset because you're trying to catch the Boston Red Sox in the American League East, and you play this poorly against a White Sox team that even though they haven't played better baseball as of late, uh, just look at the White Sox lineup tonight. I mean, I'm surprised that they mustered four runs and the Yankees could only muster one run against Ronaldo Lopez. And that's where we're going to start the conversation as far as recapping the series. We're going to work backwards as the White Sox won game one, six to two, lost game two, five to four, and won tonight game three, four to one. And with Ronaldo Lopez, he gave everyone a scare to start the game, Jim. His fastball in the first inning was in the low 90s, and Rick Renteria and Herm Schneider visited him out on the mound, and I was worried that he was hurt. But Lopez stuck it out and pitched really well tonight by throwing more off-speed pitches, something we touched on from Monday's podcast. And Ronaldo Lopez's pitch breakdown, he threw 108 pitches, 48 fastballs, 26 changeups, 11 sliders, and 23 curveballs. The result was 7 innings, 5 hits allowed, only 1 earned run, Two walks and six strikeouts. Jim, do you like that pitch mix from Lopez?
1: I do, and uh, I'm kind of curious, you know, based on his velocity showing up a lot, uh, you know, showing up towards the middle of the game, but mainly being non-existent for the first two into the third inning. I do wonder if that played a part in it. I remember that start in Texas last year, uh, the one where he was not in good shape, I think that that was when he had the back issue, and he went to changeups a lot more. Basically, abandoned his fastball early. Went to his changeup, got by, kind of junk balling it. And in this case, it kind of looked like the same thing a little bit. And that, you know, he's been throwing his slider more than his curveball. But maybe the curveball was there as a, you know, <laughs> maybe the curveball was just an underpowered slider starting out just not having the kind of power and and uh you know late break that it usually does and the changeup seemed a bit softer too in a good way the changeup um you know had more fade and it wasn't as firm and, and and straight and that seemed to you know get more swings and misses than it had been the changeup really has been a lousy pitch for him this year he got some success on it this time around so you know perhaps that there's one benefit of the velocity not being there early you know it just forced him to kind of Uh, I guess dig into his bag of tricks a little bit and he found some comfort there and uh, even as the game went on and the fastball came back he was still mixing it up pretty well. Yeah the key play
0: tonight that really could have changed the direction of this game and give New York all the momentum was in the fifth inning at the tag at home plate. Lopez threw a wild pitch over Kevin Smith's head and as Glaber Torres was sliding to home Kevin Smith made a great Throw to Ronaldo Lopez and Lopez made a very good pick and applied a very nice tag on Torres to get the final out out of the inning. If he doesn't make that tag <laughs> and the Yankees score, I wonder if things just completely break down and we're talking about Ronaldo Lopez to start in a different tone. Um, but you know, he did make that play and I think it was game saving at the moment Uh, And Ryan Lamar provided the insurance runs afterwards. And even though we're talking about Ronaldo Lopez tonight will be known as the Ryan Lamar game as he went three for four with two doubles, a home run, and he drove in all four runs for the White Sox tonight. It's the second time this season that a Chicago White Sox hitter has had three extra base hits. And it's the first since Matt Davidson did it on opening day when he hit three home runs. Is this the most unexpected individual performance of this season, Jim? Trying to think. Yeah, it's a
1: good question. Trying to think if there's been any others, you know, like where you can define it as a name game, as as the Ryan Lamar game is like the Tyler Saladino game last year. I don't recall any games that were just kind of taken over by one guy from off the deep bench to get it done. So yeah, I feel comfortable. Yeah. I'd give it a little bit more thought or maybe look it up. But right now
0: I don't, uh, can't think of any competitors. Game two, the white Sox had a four to nothing lead. And this is where we've gotten a lot of questions from our listeners. James Shields gives up a two run homer to Miguel and And yet the white Sox still have a four to two lead. Thanks to Jace Fry bailing out, getting out of that sixth inning and pitching a clean seventh inning. Rick Renteria goes to Juan Minaya. Juan Minaya allows a single to John Carl Stan and then gives up a two run shot to Aaron Hicks. A no doubter game is tied. And then Renteria replaces Minaya who doesn't get any outs with Dylan Covey. Covey gets four outs, but unfortunately on the first pitch from Neil Walker who pitched hit, he hits the walk off home run and the Yankees win five to four. There have been a lot of White Sox fans, Jim openly questioning why Renteria used Minaya in that situation on back-to-back days, and why Renteria hasn't been using somebody like Ryan Burr, who hasn't pitched in quite some time, can you make sense of the late inning choices by Renteria from Game Two? Well, I guess I'll start with the one I can defend. I don't mind the idea
1: of Covey pitching ninth, as as you know, you might have seen from or heard in podcasts or seen in tweets, hashtag Covey for closer. Um, Mainly, you know, the idea that he was good the first time through the order and uh, pretty terrible afterwards. And so, you know, putting him in the, uh, you know, putting him in the bullpen where he only has to face the order one time. Didn't mind seeing him in that situation. And I, and actually, I wouldn't have minded, you know, given that Manai had just pitched the day before and, you know, how hot and cold he's been. I wouldn't mind going from Fry to Covey in the eighth and seeing if Covey could get through the eighth and ninth himself. You know, based on his experience uh, faring well for multiple innings and, you know, given the lack of success. I think, you know, really when when talking about the bullpen and, and trying to figure out who Renteria likes, I don't think Renteria knows who he likes yet. Because, you know, he, I think Minaya has, based on last year and this year, Minaya has won the most battles for him. And I think, you know, that's as frustrating as he's been to watch this series pitch better as of late. And I think, you know, Renteria wants to believe in him. You know Ryan Burr is just you know it'd be nice to give him a shot. I think maybe, uh yeah perhaps a manager thinking Yankee Stadium isn't the best place for a guy to be kind of thrown in the deep end and uh Tiago Vieira yeah I'm not particularly impressed by him um yeah, I don't think his secondary pitches to really make it work and I think he can be homer prone and so I think I'd like Burr more than Vieira but you know Vieira's yeah I guess I wouldn't mind seeing him over Manaya a second day in a row but. I just think there aren't many good choices. I would like to see him diversify, uh, you know, who he goes with in these situations from the right side. Wouldn't mind seeing Ryan Burr get a chance maybe, hopefully in the Boston series, uh, you know, at home uh, to get a medium to high leverage outing just to see what he's got. Um, But yeah, I I still think I'm okay with Covey for at least, you know, one or two more tries because, you know, first pitch homer is just, you know, it's a bad pitch. It's a good aggressive hitting. He got beat, um, but yeah, maybe it doesn't happen
0: again at least, you know, for 10 or more outings. There are a lot of fans that are really hard on Juan Manaya, and I think Juan Mania has done a really good job this season to go from somebody that had no confidence in himself and was sent down to Charlotte because he pitched really poorly, pitched better in Charlotte, got called up, and I think he's been effective at times for the White Sox. He was effective in Game 1 for the White Sox to help close out that game is just I mean he's going up against John Carlson and Aaron Hicks right now those two batters are the best hitters in that Yankees lineup and he lost those battles it is curious though on if Renteria is going to get these young arms like Ryan Burr and I'm sure after the weekend there'll be more coming from Charlotte on how Renteria uses these guys because at the beginning of the season Uh, He didn't mind throwing guys in hot water, right? To test him out, uh, to test out in-game situations. Uh, But with the White Sox winning here, I wonder if he'll get caught up in that, you know, and and fall back on the tendencies of, we have a lead. I am the manager. I should be trying to win every single game. All right, let's go to the guys that I can depend on. And we know that he could depend on Jace Fry. Uh, Is there anyone else that you depend on, Jim, other than Jace Fry? Uh, you know, Sedeno fine. I mean, Sedeno—that's a good choice.
1: Like the left side is—you know—the left side is well represented. I think between, um, you know, with with Fry, with Sedeno, even with Hector Santiago, I think has the ability to get strikeouts out of the bullpen. The right side haven't been impressed by Jen Mar Gomez. I think he's probably the most credible option after Mania, just because he's been there and you know hasn't been terrible. But I also just don't know what he does well. You know, he's got an okay changeup, but. When it comes to you know doesn't really get grounders isn't you know isn't great at su- suppressing hits you know walks you know fair amount of guys for somebody who doesn't strike out as many <laughs> you know so i i don't quite see what his strength is i know what viera's strength is but i don't know if he can harness it well enough at this point so yeah you know i i agree with you that uh you know i think with Manaya it's just uh familiarity breeding contempt with fans like they've seen him fail enough that they'd rather see somebody else fail but i think you know when yeah, it only takes a couple more outings from Vieira or uh you know Burr, Burr i think is you know out of the question right now just because he's completely new but you know with other guys like gomez and such i think it just takes only a couple more outings for them to show their flaws to where they're in the same boat too so I'm not terribly hard on my eye i do think that you know having them pitch nearly you know two inning save the the night before then you know, having them come in to face the toughest part of the order uh, a sub subopt- a suboptimal decision. Uh, among a lot of not great ones, or at least not uh, a lot of great choices. In the
0: first game, Carlos Rodon pitched well. Uh, He got a lot of defensive help though. This was a game that did not help his FIP at all. Uh, He continues to lower his ERA, uh, but thanks to Tim Anderson making some terrific plays on Monday nights, just absolutely outstanding. He did not play game three because he collided with Nicky Delmonico and he's suffering a bruised ankle, but he is day to day and he was available to play if Rick Renteria needed Anderson to play uh, in tonight's game three game against the Yankees. And it sounds like he should not miss any time this weekend against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, But Jim, you know, he also helped out big time with the bat as well as he had a couple of doubles, Uh, but defensively, I just came away from that game just wondering, man, is this the new norm? Is this is Anderson raising the bar defensively where we should now expect him to make that terrific play in the hole where he reaches over to his right and then just makes his jump throw such a strong throw in midair that it just is easy for Matt Davidson or Jose Abreu to pick it or, or catch it. And it looks absolutely terrific and, Anderson's talked about that. He's not an athlete playing shortstop anymore, that he's a shortstop playing shortstop. He feels a lot more comfortable at the position. Uh, So I'm just curious on where you feel about Anderson's level of defensive play. Do you think that this is the new norm where we can expect him to play at above average to maybe even call it very good defense at short?
1: I would say above average is, you know, I think perhaps how he's playing right now. Uh, You know, I don't think his reputation is quite caught up with his uh, performance as of late. You know, that always takes a little bit more time to build the faith, you know, among, I guess, everybody watching the White Sox. But when it comes to his playmaking, like I would say, that kind of play, you know, that that crossbody throw, you know, ranging deep in the hole, I would say that's the kind of play maybe you don't expect, or I guess you kinda of start to expect, but you don't take it for granted either. Yeah, <laughs> just like yeah, you know, you do uh, do note that he's making plays other shortstops don't make and yeah he's looked a lot more in control of himself, you know, charging balls especially. I think that's where he got in trouble a lot of times. You know, running in, trying to look up and get ready to throw the first before the ball's in his glove and he you know kinda clanks off his wrist. Looks like just everything, you know, the way the ball is coming to the way he receives the ball uh, whether it's charging left to the right, it's it's all smoother and it all looks like he's got the timing of the game down in his head, and the body is following him and just all around. I mean, you know, Yolmer had a great series and yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, and and uh, it was Yankees broadcast singled him out. They said, yeah, I think Michael Kay said he's not quite Brooks Robinson, but he's handled everything hit that way. And John Carlos Stanton after after Sanchez snagged that 112 mile per hour grounder. He's running down first. and He just like waves his hand <laughs> at Sanchez, <laughs> just like moment. get out of here, you know, <laughs> you know, leave the stadium. And then Angle uh, remind me of um, 2005 uh, when uh, Aaron Rowand had that great series. He he had that uh, <laughs> a couple amazing catches in the gaps. Uh, to start the game, had a, another diving catch in uh, game two, had uh, made 7 putouts, you know, ranging all over center field, coming in, going back, left, right, just making all these grabs on his feet, and the White Sox won the series. And I remember I went to the finale where, you know, Rowan was flagging everything down, and after the game right in the subway people are just talking about Rowan and Yankee fashion. They're talking about, you know, what it would take to get them, you know, if they, <laughs> they could sign them, you know, trade for them. Yeah. Nah. Anybody who's good and is, will be a future Yankee, you know, as, as it goes. But, you know, Engel had the same thing going where I think if Yankees fans did not look at Engel's numbers or, you know, uh, and you wouldn't expect him to, because, you know, who pays attention to Adam Engel, but, you know, they just, if that's all they knew about him was how he played against the Yankees, uh, they might be doing the same thing on the subway right now.
0: Well, the Yankees need... Defensive help. They did not play well defensively these three games. Uh, they need help out in the outfield because they're throwing guys like Neil Walker into right field. Which Neil Walker's a veteran. I'm sure he'll do whatever that manager Aaron Boone asks him to do. But Neil Walker's not an outfielder. Neil Walker's a second baseman, and I thought it was a stretch to even have him play at first base. And now they're having him play right field. And John Carl stan's not the best right fielder. In Major League Baseball, uh, it, the Yankees defensively—I wonder if that's going to be the kryptonite come in the postseason. Uh, but yeah, the White Sox defensively were terrific this series in three games. The White Sox limit the Yankees to just eight runs. Jim.
1: Yeah, and that, that's that's why remarkable. It's, yeah, it's not too hard. You know, you you get you know angry at Mania and Covey for giving up those homers, and yeah, I mean. They weren't good pitches and such, but when you look at the kind of the scope of the series and, and see how well the White Sox pitched around them and that the Yankees are a tough team to keep down, you know, one, you know, one late inning loss maybe isn't expected, especially for a team that is really still trying to figure things out in the seventh, eighth,
0: and ninth innings in the bullpen. That's why I'm just curious on how sports radio is going to be in New York tomorrow morning, because even though the Yankees won game two, the White Sox flat out outplayed the Yankees in yeah. their own stadium well, well the post game
1: show the post game show you know they've, they've said a couple times now but yeah i was watching a little bit of it while finishing up the recap and watching it after the first game and they're talking about how the white Sox have nothing to play for and that, you know that's not true um you know, if they're a veteran team blowing it up you know maybe you could say that but with so many young guys trying to establish himself i mean giolito has things to play for Moncada has things to play for angle has things you know all these guys individually have you know things to play for, positions to play for, playing time to play for, and you know that adds up. I mean, baseball is a team game played by individuals, and so all these cases of people wanting to play their best and hang around for a while, you know, it is going to show up, um, you know, in the standings, I think, or at least, you know, in the in the game to game comportment of the team. So I think, uh, you know, waving away the White Sox as a team that is just kind of uh, uh, counting down to the days, I think, is. An unfair characterization, but maybe it works to the White Sox' advantage if they're able to keep, you know, catch teams while they're sleeping
0: on them. Well, the Yankees are in luck because the Detroit Tigers now come to town, and I think that team has quit.
1: That's a, Yeah, that's a different case. Yeah, that I think team ra- I think is Grand either Garden really hires, bad or they quit. Yeah, yeah he's just kind of, uh, I think, flogged as much as he can out of them.
0: All right, so let's preview this upcoming weekend series as the Boston Red Sox come into town. But before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Football is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, playing a night with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value. SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence and it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek has plenty of tickets to concerts, comedy and theater too. I use SeatGeek all the time to buy white Sox tickets because I find it to be the easiest way to shop for tickets this upcoming weekend. A, the weather looks pretty good in Chicago. Despite the last couple of days, there's been a lot of rain. It hasn't been nowhere near as hot as it has been in New York. And you'll have an opportunity to see Gilito and Kopech and Carlos Rodan. And tickets start at $12 for Thursday and Friday, $10 on Saturday, and $9 on Sunday on SeatGeek right now. And the best part is that our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code Machine. That's promo code Machine for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Now previewing this upcoming series is the Boston Red Sox coming to town. They are the best team in Major League Baseball. As they are 92-42, and they are 50 games above 500, Jim, at the end of August. This is just nuts on how well they've been playing this year as they beat the Miami Marlins thanks to an 11-run 7th inning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shockingly, though, the White Sox won 2 out of 3 earlier at Fenway this year. So they lead the season series against the best team in Major League Baseball, your pitching problems for this four-game series, starting on Thursday night at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Lucas Giolito against Rick Porcello. On Friday, it is Kopech Day, starting at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, as it's Michael Kopech against Nathan Iovaldi. On Saturday at 6.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Carlos Rodon against Eduardo Rodriguez. And on Sunday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, it is James Shields against Brian Johnson. Jim... Word out of Boston is that Chris Sale has been throwing off the ground, but not off the mound. So he's still weeks away from rejoining the Boston Red Sox, and he will not be pitching this weekend. Are you disappointed?
1: Yeah, uh, I am just because, you know, I'm still, I'm still a Chris Sale fan, you know, even though his you know, right. time in Chicago ended as poorly as it did. You know, he gave everything he had to the White Sox and and maybe a little bit too much at times. But uh, yeah, just... Um yeah you never want to see it especially with with a guy like Sale who is on a Hall of Fame track and finally you know was on pace to you know lapping the field in Cy Young basically especially after Trevor Bauer went down Bauer is really the one credible um competitor I think Corey Kluber's been hanging around but he got hurt so for at least a little bit of time so you know Sale had built up a little bit of a workload edge and so he had an edge and I thought maybe the first DL stint with the shoulder inflammation was just giving him the second half breather that uh, teams have never been able to give sale because he's needed, you know, all 32, all 33 starts to hope to get a team to the postseason. Uh, but apparently, you know, after another, he had one outing and then went back in the DL. And yeah, it's just disappointing. And, you know, depending on how this goes and, and how he, you know, I guess, whether he appears, how he how he pitches when he appears, you
0: know, it's the kind of thing that can change the complexion of that trade. The second question is one that I think everyone is going to be asking the next two days. Will we see Eloy Jimenez this weekend as the rosters expand on Saturday?
1: I don't know. Like, (laughs) I've been looking for clues and, um, you know, Jimenez, he's been playing every day in Charlotte. So there's no kind of winding down there to wrap it up. The White Sox have not tipped their hand. You know, perhaps they are waiting for September first, which you know does make some sense if you get this close and you don't want to send anybody down or make some room. You don't have anybody to put on the disabled list. You know, maybe you wait those you know couple extra days and you know that's fine. But you know, so maybe you'll hear 31st. We didn't hear anything like the with the Mets with Peter Alonso, where they said we're not calling him up. Um, and so I yeah. think that might be. know, uh, yeah, I think if the White Sox were didn't have plans to call him up, then maybe they they would do that already. Just kind of. Uh, rip the bandaid off, take all of the flack, and then you know, wait for a week or so for it to die down. But I think with the Benes, the tough thing about it, and, and Kopech, you know, created the same situation. Whereas you know, when they want, if they wanted to add to the rotation with Kopech, or, or or you know, thinking about who to call up, add to the rotation, add length to the bullpen. If they didn't call up Kopech for service time and pretended like he had to work on his changeup or something like that, but called up like a Jordan Stevens or a Carson Fulmer. You know they would have been you know basically, I'm I'm not sure whether it would have had legal ramifications with a with a grievance, but I mean they would have been nobody would have found it credible at all. You know, like the reasoning for you know, not having Kopech who's throwing strikes and out walking anybody, you know, it was a well deserved reward, and it also kind of you know the White Sox would not have been able to cover their asses with you know justifying it. I think Jimenez is kind of the same thing where he's hitting so well that if they want to add to the bench, if they want to add to the outfield. And they're calling up guys like Charlie Tilson or Ryan Cordell or, you know, Matt Skull, and they're not calling up Jimenez. I don't know how they justify that either, and whether, you know, they would be pressed to justify that in a hearing mm. of
0: some sort. I I think we will. I, I think on Saturday. Because the Knights are wrapping up their home games, and I don't know if you want him to travel. I think it's a lot easier logistically to have Eloy Jimenez travel from Charlotte to Chicago than it is to wherever they are playing. I don't remember where they're finishing the season off on the road. But if you want a player to come up to Chicago, it's best that they come back or they come up from the home base. And I'm going to say, yeah, I think on Saturday, Eloy Jimenez is going to get called up. I don't know if he's going to play. I think he'll just be with the team. Um, But that's... That's my expectation. Just because a lot of the things that you hit on, Jim, like they, Rick Conn has no excuses. He was actually in Birmingham this week and I listened to him call the third inning against uh, our good friend, Kurt Bloom, uh, the Barons broadcaster. And, and it was funny because Kurt asked Rick Conn a question that if you got $5 for every single time someone asked you, if when is Eloy going to call up? How rich would you be? And Rick Khan's response was, I'd be pretty rich just based on my family alone. (laughs) Like, I guess his son asks him (laughs) all the time, like, hey, dad, I want to go to the White Sox game. Are you calling up Eloy Jimenez? So it sounds like Rick Khan's son is with us that he wants to see the White Sox number one prospect with team and I think he just doesn't have a choice. He really doesn't. And there's a lot of fans out there like, well, these games don't mean anything. You know, worthless wins. They're ruining their draft position. It's all meaningless. Why would you call them up and lose that extra year? There's just so much uncertainty after 2021 on how any of this is going to work with the CBA. And I don't understand what the Mets are doing with Peter Alonzo, but the Mets are a organization that's just in disarray right now. And they're not ran poorly. And I don't think it's a good look, (laughs) you know, if the White Sox do anything that resembles a Mets-like move. So I say call him up, start playing him, and he's going to be in your everyday lineup in April because if he rakes in spring training and you send him down for the first couple weeks in Charlotte – uh, there's going to be some very, very loud groans and you could be in again in a situation, Jim, where Eloy Jimenez can file a grievance and uh, rightfully so. Yeah, I, you know, I, I
1: hesitate to lean on that too heavily just because I don't think we've seen, um, you know, evidence of a grievance going all the way through, you know, there's some griping and such, but I don't, I don't think there's a rich track record of them working out. So, or at least, you know, elevating to anything. So I, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to make too much of that, but you know, in, in cases like with Chris Bryant, you know, he's brought up a lot. Buster Posey is another one. At least, you know, when it's their first full pro season, you know, that's one thing. You know, your first five-month season uh, where they're playing every day. Yeah, you know, give them a break in September. You know, when it's spring training and they're trying to break the club, yeah, you'll have them get in a groove in the minor leagues with they, you know, Braves. The Cunha is another one. You'll have them, you'll get those reps there just to get in the swing of it proved. That's where they were as they left off last year, and there you go. But I think this year, just the timing of it, you know, Jimenez being an international prospect, Jimenez being somebody who, you know, probably in terms of talent could have broken camp with the White Sox in 20, you know, in April of 2018 and been okay. But uh, you know, they gave him a very generous amount of time in Birmingham before Charlotte. And it just seems like it'd be a lot faker to <laughs> try to pull it off this time around compared to other situations that are often brought up as comparable. So I don't quite see it for Jimenez and yeah, I would say I'd put it maybe 70-30 that they will call him up.
0: Okay. I'll put it at 80-20. I'm 80% sure they're going to call him up. And if I'm wrong and it's that 20%, I'm really going to be watching to see how Rick Hahn tap dances <laughs> around when the media presses him on why Elo Jimenez has not been called up when the rosters are eligible to be expanded. One guy at least we should be expecting is catcher Wellington Castillo, which we talked about Wellington Castillo for our Patreon subscribers in great detail on Monday's show. Uh, But who else the White Sox call up? We shall see. We'll know for sure on Saturday. Okay, uh, one other note. Tomorrow morning the Arizona Fall League rosters are announced, so you can see on who the White Sox are sending to Glendale. be part of the desert dogs Uh, that is projected to be at 11 a.m. Central time tomorrow. So for those that are interested on which White Sox prospects we play in the Arizona Fall League, that's something for you to look forward to. Uh, But we're going to end the show with something that I read in the Wall Street Journal today, and it is a rule change to help reduce the amount of time played in baseball games. Everybody's trying to do this, Jim. Uh, And this one, I think, is perhaps the most ridiculous of them all. That's why I wanted to touch on it. This is from a uh, New York University, NYU game theorist and computer scientist. And it's called the catch-up rule. And how it works is that when the game is tied, you get three outs. However, at any point during the game, you score, it gets reduced to two outs. So if you have your leadoff hitter hit a leadoff home run... And it's one to nothing. In the first inning, you only have two more outs to play with.
1: It doesn't seem, yeah, you know, I feel like you're Jason Bennett, I'm Steve Stone, you know, floating a dumb idea, but I mean, I have to be like, meh, no. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You know, it's, it's good, you know, it's good theory. Um, but, yeah, it would just mess with the, you know, basically how we tabulate games, how we score games. <laughs> everything like that would be.
0: Yeah, innings and. Yeah, everything, it would yeah. really
1: be throwing. throwing really off just in general, just the whole idea of getting through innings. Yep. Um, but it would be, that's the kind of thing would be fun to see like in uh, an independent league or something like that, just to use as an incubator and see just how the flow of the game goes when it happens. Cause I mean, I kind of like the idea and, and it just seems like something more like a golf handicap or something like that, you know, to, to level the field between teams versus getting games over faster. I wonder if it would have just a leveling effect to where, Every team would be, you know, it, the idea of a golf handicap, just like that, you get spotted so many strokes and that, you know, anybody has a chance of winning in a match game based on playing your normal levels. If somebody spotted a certain amount of strokes the same thing with bowling with uh, pins and everything. And it just seems like kind of a handicap to where even, you know, teams who are struggling get an advantage, you know, that teams who are good, don't get a chance to pull away. Hmm. Yeah. If I'm understanding it correct, that's, it just seems like it would just yes. drag everything to 500 more or less.
0: And yeah, exactly. Try to make it because you know they ran the simulations over four decades of games, and they found that the run differential is cut by a run. You get a lot closer games, plus it cuts at least thirty minutes of game time.
1: Yeah, no, it, it seems like it's serving a different. Uh, the primary purpose would be leveling the playing field more than you know, just just uh, I guess you know eliminating minutes from the game. So it seems like the the pace of play is like a byproduct of something that is more drastic and really
0: changes the nature of the game more. The one rule change that I've been in favor for for a while, and I mentioned the show, is the mercy rule. That if you are up by 10 plus runs after the seventh inning, the game's over. (laughs) Just end it. Don't have to play the eighth or ninth inning. The game is over. Move on. Don't have position players pitch. I know you're not a big fan of that one, Jim. I, I looked into it that would only impact two and a half to four and a half percent of games played in a major league season. And that's from 2000 to 2018. So,
1: well, I, I kind of like that idea if only because it's the spirit of curling in baseball. I mean, in curling, you, you know, the, the captains, uh, the skips of the team decide when to end games. Like say, if it's a blowout and you're losing like by five points going into the second last end, you don't see any way to make it up. You just shit. You know, it's kind of courtesy to seed the game. Um, especially at the higher levels where, you know, you can't, you know, games don't get as sloppy and, uh, you know, it's really hard to score multiple points in one end. You know, these skips just say like, well, we'll shake here because we can't come back. And that's kind of like along the same lines, like you're down 10 runs. You don't want to use any more pitchers. You don't want to make any more. Yeah. You don't want to make an effort to make it competitive.
0: Then you just come out and shake hands with the opposing manager and go get beer. (laughs) Pretty much. It'd be weird because you could could have walk-off situations where if you're up by 7 and someone hits a grand slam, the game's over. Because now you're up by 11 if you're like the home team. And that's it. Game's over. Yeah, it's
1: kind of like basketball, you know, playing to 21 or something like that. Yeah. You start jacking up threes to try to get there faster, and does that take you out of your game, and do you end up losing a lead? I can see that kind of drama being put in it, but...
0: Yeah, Yeah. but looking into it, it only impacts 25 to 4.5% of games played in a season, and that data goes all the way back to 2000 that I read. So it's not a a significant—it wouldn't significantly change baseball. It just seems that there's a lot of people right now trying to greatly reduce the amount of time— a game happens, and these people, I think, are not fans of baseball. Period. <laughs> so, well, I, I think the catchers, you know, mount, limiting mound
1: visits has helped a
0: lot. And I it and, has with pace, yes.
1: Yeah, and I and I, I'm trying to think. Maybe it was a week ago I saw a number where they said it was back below three hours for the average game, and that's a good step. And yes, it is. You know, watching it, you you don't have the Joe Mowers of the world coming out. You know, four times an inning. You don't have. Um, uh, Wilson Contreras, who is who is another big advocate of mound visits. You know, Kevin Smith even. Yeah, I went back, watched a couple games from last season to get an idea of how the incumbent catchers like Smith and Narvaez, and I, I think I watched a Smith-Castillo game, a White Sox-Orioles game with Castillo uh, as the catcher. And Castillo really didn't visit the mound. Smith made probably seven or eight mound trips. And hmm. it seems like, uh, you know, I, I guess I expected it to be more of a case where you'd have more teams reaching six mound visits or having some kind of flare-ups because defined defines mound visit, but no, catchers have stayed put, haven't seen too many cross-ups, and I think the game has flowed a lot more smoothly, especially with certain guys behind the plate. Hmm, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I think if you combine it with the pitch clock, I, I think a pitch clock is coming, Jim. You just have so many younger pitchers now in the league that are used to a pitch clock. And you can see because they are very quick. They get the ball and they're ready to go. And it's the hitters that are kind of stalling everything. Uh, I, I think in three to four years, more with more players that have been accustomed to playing with the pitch clock in the minor leagues, uh, I, I think Major League Baseball will have that after the next CBA that expires in 2021. And I think that will help. reduce 15 minutes Uh, of a game and it will feel like there's a quicker pace but you know a big reason why games last so long is because you got to get the commercials in man you got to get two and a half minutes of commercials right between each inning or half inning I should say Uh, and and, you know that that extends the game much longer but you know if you watch a minor league baseball game that's a good pace I, I feel like that's a really good pace and the difference is is that in the majors, you got to sell ads, right? You gotta... and I, well,
1: I think there, there's that and there's uh, there's less matchups or fewer matchups okay, in yeah. bullpen management where you have those mid-inning pitching changes. I think they are you know, uh, intent on having
0: guys last full innings, whether they're lefty or righty for the most part. And I don't want to get to that part where they are handcuffing managers. I don't like that idea. Uh, I'm okay still with the matchups and yes I guess I'm advocating Rick Renteria to have four pitchers in a single inning Uh, but I think in three to four years after the CBA with enough young pitchers now mixed in the league used to the 22nd pitch clock that Major League Baseball has that in combination with the limiting the mound visits to six that there you go the pace should be reduced and hopefully everybody is happy it's just, it is funny that when you do see these types of rule proposals, like the catch up rule from the Wall Street Journal that we just discussed, uh, I wonder how serious Commissioner Rob Manfred will take any of these because it seems like he really wants to make some radical changes. And I know I'm not ready for that drastic of changes to the game.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I'm, I'm, I'm so, you know, given that I watch baseball voluntarily hundreds of games a year. Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm you know, not the, probably the guy to ask. That will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much that listened to the live stream, which you can listen to us during the week at Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. If you don't get a chance to listen to the live stream, don't worry. We always take the recording uploaded into the podcast feed which you can subscribe to the show in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes, another is Google Podcasts, Spotify, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history